Yes. And uh, your background, Susan, is? Oh, so I'm in, I'm in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Yeah. So this is um, a photo taken near where I live in Nova Scotia. I'm in Ottawa right now. I'm, I'm not in Nova Scotia. But the tide's out. So you, uh, you can walk out to, this, to these little islands when the tide is out. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Per Podcast. It is, it is. Um, you know, I didn't expect to have to jump in there. As per usual. Yeah. You always but, lead off, so it's, you know, it's always hard for me to know. So, Susan, yeah. I am so excited about this episode because we talked with this amazing person a long time ago, and she let us know that she was working on a project and we're going to talk about this project and it's so exciting yes this is very true um you, she's going to be one of our few repeat guests right i know i've had a lot of repeat guests we've had dr lappin more than once Lap, yeah yeah but i think dr horwitz might be only the second no, i think it's a third but third? i can't remember who was the <laughs> because Levin was not the first i remember that one so who was the first uh in the notes will be in the notes okay we'll okay <laughs> clearly my memory is uh but anyway we have very few repeat guests so yes. we're really pleased that dr uh, debbie horwitz um agreed to be a repeat guest and for a really good reason right mm -hmm. Right. It is for a very good reason. Yes. Yeah, so, so Debbie, give a very short explanation uh, who you are and uh, why you're back on. Yeah, as we're, as we're recording this, we're, we're on Zoom because yes. we're, we're in different places. You said cats were allowed. It's and very appropriate. Which kitty is that, Deb? This is Bella. 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 She's a, a Devon Rex and her sister Nikki somewhere around here. And they're um, I am a veterinary behaviorist and I've been seeing behavior cases for a really long time. The cat did that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I do a lot of lecturing and I write a lot of books. And I'm very excited about the new project we're going to talk about today because the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists we've written a book called Decoding Your Cat. And uh, we're very excited. It follows our first book that is about a topic that's never discussed here on Per Podcast. But it was very well received and people immediately started asking, where is Decoding Your Cat? So it's coming out next month and we're very excited about it. Yeah, that this month being awesome. July 2020, um, by the way, yes. just to um, yes. anchor people well, in time. Sure, this may not be air till Whenever. <laughs> yeah, but yes, but we're really happy to have the chance to talk to you about this book that's been eagerly awaited um, as it's just coming out. So it must be really cool for you to be on the verge of it hitting um, the bookshelves or that or the uh, virtual bookshelves, I guess. It's very exciting uh, to have the book coming out. It was very exciting when we had a book before and um, it was veterinarians loved it and 
Pet owners loved it. And I really feel like cat owners, they want to know so much more about their cat. And they want it based in science. There are lots of cat books out there, but we've written this based in science and we've used a format that's really easy for them to follow. And the goal is really to take them step-by-step through having a cat and then finding and talking about all those little problems that owners create with their cats. Because we know cats are never a problem, but... uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, kind of zeroing in on things that are 10 cats too many or three enough, you know, things like that. And there's a whole chapter, too, about uh, feral cats and trying to, uh, what to do about them. It's really, it's really interesting. That's something new, which most books don't have. But I, I think it's called uh, So Close But So Far Away. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> and it's to, to tell people, you know, some what the difference is between a feral and uh, just a cat that's been running loose and what is trap, neuter, and release and how they take care of all these animals and can you make them into pets. It's a very good chapter because I think uh, there's not enough information for pet owners out there about a really touchy subject for a lot of people. Yep, uh, this is really good. So before we dive into the new book, I just want to talk a little bit about the old book, Decoding Your... And we're not saying the word, but it was a really big success. Uh, and uh, and probably reason for that is that there's not really that much around uh, that does this scientific approach to it. But tell us a little bit how it was received and how people use it without saying the... In both of the books, we use the same approach. The first chapter in both of them is um, talking to your pet or understanding your pet's language, something like that. So that's the introduction to, you know, what are they saying instead of my dog's mad at me, whoops, or my my cat is spiteful. Uh, we, We talk about how both species use a lot of body language and uh, vocalizations to tell us how they feel. And I think people found that because the whole book is based not just on science, but on understanding why pets do the things they do, and they're, they're not mysterious. If you understand them, I think you love them so much more. And it really got people thinking that, number one, they had to use positive training techniques no matter what they did. Mm-hmm. That our animals do care for us, but at the end of the day, the mm, act like an mm, and the cats like act like a cat. And the better you understand what's their normal behavior, the more you can cherish that. And then, I instead of making you mad, I think you can laugh at things about them. No, that's awesome. it, it helps push us a little bit out of our trying to interpret their behavior through a human lens. Right? right. He's mad at me. You know, he's right. And right. it trains us to try to speak their language instead. Yes, and to figure out their needs. The other th- reason I think it was so successful is we really focus on our pets, the D's and the C's, like to do, you know, cats like to do cat stuff. That's what they like the most. And if we want to make them happy, we need to understand that it's cat stuff that they need to provide for them. And that, that they're all different. That's the other thing that we tried to bring out is that I have litter mates and they're, they're so different. They're all different, but they're all cats and there's a lot to enjoy. And when you know, oh, they're doing that because 
that's what they do, I think you feel better about some of the things that make you nuts. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so that you had experience with your first book, and now we're doing. Now we're going to focus only on the cat, the decoding your cat. Um, how much time does it take to get this started and finished? <laughs> It's a much longer process than you think. The second time was not as long. I was the lead editor on the first book mm -hmm. and we had an outline of topics and we had an outline for every chapter. And I believe when I write a book, and I think Susan does too, that you need to have everybody kind of present things in the same way. So from chapter to chapter that they know what information's coming up. And um, we did that with both books. So each chapter, the hardest part was um, getting the publisher, but the publisher that published the first book was really happy and, and they uh, said, yeah, they'd be on board. And then finding the people. It takes to write. It takes probably, <laughs> takes longer than you think, probably two years at least, because it takes about a year to get everything in fruition. And remember, we're, we're working through the college, so it's not just me or the lead editor was Megan Heron saying, okay, I'm ready to write my book, I'm going to do everything this way, because we're the voice, we're representing the voice of the college, and some things we had to get started, but probably a total of two years. But at and the longest part, actually, took us about a year to get all our stuff written. It took us about four to six months to hear anything back from the publisher. And then, of course, there's a the publishing time. And Susan, you know that that's true. You have your deadline, you write, 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 and you send it to them, and it went into a black hole. And it goes into a black hole, yes. This is very that's true. why I'm going to publish my own book myself this time. <laughs> You're very smart. How fast that goes. You're very well, smart. I don't know about that, because they do, you know, if you're lucky enough to get an advance, at least you have something there. But, um, yeah, the, it takes it takes about two years from start to finish, because we're not the only book they're doing. So you send it to your editor, and they're not like, oh, I've been waiting for this. I've had nothing to do for a year. Yeah, so that's yeah. yeah two, two years, um, if all goes well. If all goes well. Yeah. And if you have... If, if you have different people writing chapters, if those people are timely or not. And uh, that's a big thing, making sure everybody's timely. But um, we had great people writing and we actually did use um, an editor, an outside editor during the process ah. that would go through and uh, correct the English. And we really just did content. So that helped a lot. Oh, that would help a lot. We're not it really is a labor of love, right? It's not like any of us uh, get get rich uh, uh, no. doing textbooks, or you know, if you're invited to do a chapter in a in a textbook, it's a labor of love. Well, you want to get the information out there. One of the big things about this book is that many of us were we write for the veterinary field, but this book has to be written for the public. So you want the language to be softer less technical, more inviting. And that's why we had this other editor for some of the time to make it more inviting to people who might, a lot of too many terms, technical terms, like, oh, I'll never wade through all of this. And uh, so we wanted to be sure with the first book and this book that it's kind of gonna grip you from the beginning. Every chapter starts with a little vignette of um, the, the issue. 
And there are cases that were cases for the veterinary behaviors who were writing the chapter. Somebody brought me here, my cat did blah, blah, blah. Oh, and then wow. we use that as a springing off point to explain the behavior and the owner's point of view. Of course, names are changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> but um, I think that also helps people. And then we also have in each chapter, um, is that really true? Um, myths or facts, and we attack all the myths that are there. And I think cats have lots of myths attached to them that um, cause problems. So, you know, and then at the end, we say, um, what did we say? And we, we repeat everything and we just summarize it. And it was very well received, I think, for that reason. So it would be a good book for veterinarians to recommend to their clients, wouldn't it? Oh, it is. And veterinarians loved it. When we did the other book, we were fortunate that a um, company uh, bought some at NAVC and WVC. I signed a bunch of them, mm -hmm. and they were given to veterinarians or technicians for free, and they loved it because they could say, here, there are lots of books on the market, but what do you recommend? Yeah. I think right. it's also a really good idea to uh, for shelters, so when they... Uh, because a lot of people go to the shelter and 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 pick up a cat, uh, and often they have no clue. I mean, then they start thinking, "Oh, I have this cat, and he has this behavior, and what are, what this is wrong or or something." If if shelters will provide this book, I think we will solve a lot of problems that these owners have, especially if they get a kitten, because kittens are not cats. I mean, they're just not. And they do a lot of fun stuff, but they're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And um, I mean, my, one of my kittens gets on top of the doors. The other one doesn't do that. But the first time that kitten got on top of a door, then she stood up there just crying her lungs out like, <laughs> but I have no idea how to get down. And you get frustrated when they do things like that. Um, well, you saw my video of the kitten jumping up onto the glass yeah. cabinet, holding on with, so, you know, they're a lot of fun, but they do grow up to be cats. And then, and I don't know, do you know anyone who owns just one cat? You know, um, statistics tell us that it, in Canada and the U.S., people, you know, own a, an average of two cats. So, yeah, you know, we, we, we know that, and you and I as veterinarians, the three of us as veterinarians know that people rarely have one cat they're like potatoes right you always get another one and cats are the most popular pet in the united states there are more owned cats than there are owned other animals yes <laughs> yes. yes so i think that's another reason that the the book's a good idea yeah because they've become very popular as they should i think they're wonderful pets to have but you need to know how to take care of them and you certainly don't want them going back to the shelters which is really which is common, and, and one of the top reasons cats end up back in shelters if they came there or end up in a shelter if they didn't come right. there is what people will call behavior problems, which sometimes are problem behaviors and sometimes normal behaviors. Correct. Yeah. And there's a, the two common reasons that um, cats get given up and get returned, though actually they're the same. People give up their cats because it's fighting with other cats, and people who adopt a cat and take it home give it back because it's fighting with other cats. And after that, it's house soiling. And both of those are really not impossible to resolve, depending if you understand 
what's going into it. And uh, so we do spend a lot of time, we have chapters on um, what do cats, what are they really like? Are they social? There's one, um, our cats are social butterflies, that's what that's called. And then um, there's one about, you know, cats that don't get along mm. and how to figure that out too, because it is very common. Mm. Yeah, it's very common. You know, they're, they're social in their own way. Um, and we, we somehow expect that they'll be quite happy to live with other cats they've never met when, you know, you can often do that with people, not always with dogs but not always, and somehow we think cats are gonna be the same. Right, and, and that is one of the biggest mistakes. You know, they bring home another cat and they assume that the cats are gonna like that, but what we explain to them in the, in the book is that cats do live in groups, mm. but they tend to live in groups that are related. Yeah. So their mothers and their daughters and their, their mother and their daughters and their sisters and they get along better and you know what else we talk about in the book is that they don't even know how to tell which cats are getting along ah don't, people don't yeah yes they don't know that the cats cat, three cats sleeping on a bed that are each three feet apart are not cats that like each other because cats will be um touching each other Disregarding of the ambient temperature more often than not. Cats who like each other sleep touching each other, mm. on top of each other, besides grooming each other. So they don't understand. Well, they're all friends. They all sleep on the bed. And that that isn't what happens. That's because the bed's the most comfortable place to sleep. And that's why they sleep there. So we try to help them through these misjudgments, I guess, that they make. That's one of the common questions I ask clients if, if they, you know, if we have problems that it's that can, un, un, that can reveal a whole bunch of things. If you just ask them about, do you ever see them sleeping together? And then what does that look like? Right. Yeah. The other question is when do you ever see all your cats in the same room? Yeah. That's another big one that, that when you ask people that they have to think about it and then they realize, Oh, well, never. Well, that's a big piece of information right there. If all your cats won't be together in the same room, then some of them apparently don't like each other. And that becomes a real flashpoint that has to be addressed, but people don't understand that. They, they really, they don't understand that. Or so why can't one of your chapters is called the feline dream home. What, what, what um, does What is that? Well, we spend a lot of time talking about what cats like. So a feline dream home should have climbing towers. Ideally, most of them have a purse that holds one cat so that they can get up there and nobody will get up after them. It, it really is very cat-like that if you have one climbing tower and two cats, they're gonna have a disagreement about it. But if you have two climbing towers, everybody's happy. So you need a lot of climbing towers. Hiding places, cats like to hide. So they need hiding places, those are really important. They need to do cat stuff. So maybe they need cat grass, uh, maybe they need um, things to chase. We spend a lot of time, it's, in fact, we had a big discussion about whether or not repeating things throughout the book was a problem because we do, because certain things are really important that we now know about cats, that they prefer to eat multiple small meals a day but when you feed them out of a big bowl, you create all sorts of problems because research tells us that cats that fight 
away from the food bowl, one of those cats can dominate the food bowl and prevent the other one from getting there. So not only do we tell them you have to multiple food bowls in multiple places, but cats really like food dispensing toys. They really like them quite a bit. And these guys have been fed like that since they were kittens. And when they want a little something to eat, they go down to there in the kitchen because it falls all over the floor. But I think the cat's dream home is anytime I want like three or four pieces of kibble, I can get one. And they go down there and they get their kibble. They like very fresh water. So we wanna make sure that there's a lot of water often for them. They don't like their food bowls where they go to the bathroom. So the dream home also has a lot of things for them to do, but it also takes into consideration their sensibilities about smell and location. And I think that's what cats dream about and catnip. That's great. great. And, and it's crazy because the time is almost already up for the first part, but, um, and we're talking about decoding your cat, the new book that just is coming out July, 2020. Uh, and we have the amazing, uh, Debbie Horowitz, Dr. Debbie Horowitz here uh, talking about it. But uh, so before we uh, sign off, Susan, last question. Oh, gosh. Um, so you said there was a lot of cat myths that you tried to dispel. What do you think is the number one sort of most common cat myth? I know there's a lot, but what's number one? That a hiding cat is, is um, a frady, unsociable cat, but that really a lot of hiding cats are living in an environment that is not suited to them. And it's not normal for a cat to hide all the time. It's just not. Even eventually, a, a feral cat will come out when it's quiet. So I think that that's the myth that impacts cat health the most. Mm. Great. And, and uh, do you agree with the fact that then when a cat, so when a cat is not healthy, so either stress-wise or for other reasons, it hides more then? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the environment could be stressful and they're not sick. They're like, you know, they're living with a bully cat or every time they come out, someone chases it. There's dogs. There are lots of reasons they hide, but sometimes they're just hiding because they aren't provided what they need close enough to where they feel safe. And uh, we can talk a lot about what makes cats feel safe, but I'll end with one thing. It's that while cats are the most efficient predators on the planet, they're also prey. Yeah. So a prey animal, your first response to danger is to run and hide. So when cats think there's danger, they run and hide. And if the danger is present all the time, they're not coming out. And that's a good, good thing to remember because we always forget. We always think that the cat is the hunter. Yeah. Uh, so we don't realize that the cat can be the prey too. So that's a very good point that you're making. This has been great. Yeah. Uh, Thanks so much. Uh, so Susan, much. Where, where can people find more information? At perpodcast.net. You can see our episode list. You can see our guests. You can um, listen directly on the website, but you can also find per podcast episodes in any uh, podcast uh, app or format. So Spotify, um, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll find per podcast. And we put a link into uh, the, the notes, the show notes, where you can get the book. And uh, maybe we should get a couple of books and uh, give them as prizes, Susan. What do you That's think? That's a good idea. Oh, that would be really good. I'd love that. Yes. Awesome. So thank you, Debbie, for being on. And we'll see you uh, next week. Yep. Bye. 
Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at Cat Pet Susan. Dr. Yola Kerpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kerpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at Per Podcast.